0: Make Ken Carlson's Diary Chapter 8 William the Silent January 1, 1567 New Year's Day again, and though I think we are all trying to look cheerful and give each other good wishes, it is easy to see that no one is really happy, or at rest, the very air seems full of trouble. Trade is almost at a standstill. Father says he cannot fulfill the large orders he has received for woolen goods, as nearly all his best workmen have left the country. Only this morning, when Trichon went as usual to the bakers, she found the shutters had not been taken down, it was still early, so thinking he might have overslept himself, she knocked loudly, but got no answer. After some time a neighbor looked out of the window of a house on the opposite side of the street, and said, You may knock till you are tired, for the house is empty, the whole family sailed last night for England. We knew them to be of our faith, and Father prayed very earnestly that the good hand of God might be over them keeping and guarding them from all the dangers of the way. Mother says we must bake our own bread. Well, I think I shall rather like that. I only hope the miller will not go to England just now. So many things have happened in our city of Antwerp lately, that I hardly know how or where to begin telling the story of the sorrowful times in which we are living. It was a wild, stormy afternoon late in October, when we noticed that quite suddenly our quiet street was filled with crowds of people, all going in one direction. Father went to the door, and after exchanging a few words with a neighbor, came in and began to put on his cloak and hat. What is the matter, Mark? my mother asked, is there a fire? There will be one tomorrow, dear wife, he said, as he kissed her tenderly, that is, if the deed of darkness is not done before the morning, for King Philip advises that instead of being publicly burnt at the stake, heretics should be drowned or strangled secretly in their prisons, but our brother Christopher Fabricius, who has been for some months in prison, is to die a martyr's death tomorrow, and our brethren are on their way to the prison in the hope of being able to encourage him by singing psalms and repeating passages of scripture. If he is not gagged they may even hear his voice through the barred windows of his cell. But must you go, Mark, mother pleaded. See, there are so many, your voice will not be missed cannot you stay with us? For a moment Father stood as if not quite sure whether he should go or stay, then said very gently, There will not be one too many, Constanza, and would you wish the Saviour to say to me, In prison, and ye came not unto me? Mother understood him and said no more, but I saw tears were in her eyes. That evening seemed a very long one. People were still passing our house, many of them carrying lanterns, for the night was dark and starless. We did not talk much but I am sure we both prayed that God would bless and keep my dear father. Then the Bible was brought from its hiding place and mother read me such a beautiful story of how, long ago, God sent an angel to deliver the apostle Peter from prison, Acts 12, and mother said that even if God saw it best to allow Fabricius to be burnt at the stake, to be with Christ in heaven would be better than even to walk a free man through the streets of Antwerp. So we were comforted for him, but when our usual time for saying good night came, mother said she could not possibly go to bed, but would sit up and wait for father. So I begged that I might share her watch, and though I believe that after a time I fell asleep, my head resting on her knee, I hope I was of some little use, as mother said afterwards she would have felt more lonely if I had not been with her. I think it must have been morning when father came back. He looked pale and tired, but said that though there were great crowds outside the prison, all were quiet and orderly, and there was no disturbance, and no fresh arrests were made. The burning was, he told us, to take place the next morning, and many who lived at a distance had not attempted to go to their homes, while fresh crowds kept pouring in. Father also told us that many believe that the friends of the Reformed faith are strong enough in Antwerp to take Fabricius out of the hands of the soldiers, but he does not think the attempt would be a wise one, and he is sure the martyr himself does not wish it. Father could not stay with us long, though Mother and I tried our utmost to coax him to take rest and food. He ate a few mouthfuls, just to please us, and then was off again. On his return, some hours later, he told us that even before daybreak crowds gathered in the marketplace. The peasant women, who always came early, bringing eggs, butter, fruit and many other things, were turned back with their loads, as there was to be no market that day. A space had been cleared in the middle of the square, to which some men were silently carrying faggots, while a few mounted soldiers were on guard. The silence was almost painful. No one spoke, but all faces were turned towards the street leading to the prison. Soon the soldiers came and formed a passage for the monks who walked with the prisoner. As they passed near Father, Fabricius said in a calm, clear voice, My brethren, let none of you attempt to release me, but suffer God to accomplish His work in me. A deeper hush came over the crowd, and for a few moments all was still, then with one heart and voice they sang the psalm. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. As the place of burning was reached, the voice of the martyr was again heard as he begged the people not to forget the truth he had taught them. Many voices spoke words of cheer, and one bolder than the rest cried out loudly, Fight manfully, My brother, be thou faithful unto death. The priests were very angry and ordered the officer in command of the troops to arrest the speaker, but the crowd opened right and left and made a way for him to pass, and he was soon lost to sight. When the stake was reached, the martyr knelt down and would have prayed aloud, But the monks would not allow him to do so, and he was at once chained to the stake. Again, the crowd tried to sing a psalm, but the soldiers tried to silence them with blows, which were returned with a shower of stones. A fight followed, during which some of his friends made a rush at the stake with such effect that monks and soldiers fled in confusion. Friends were round the martyr, but it was too late, a soldier as he fled had struck him on the head with an axe, and the blow was fatal. We were all greatly pleased to hear that the Prince of Orange was expected, and would, it was hoped, soon be in Antwerp. It was even said that the Duchess Margaret had written begging him to come and help her, as she found the people of the Netherlands growing more discontented and unruly every day. A great many of the nobles of Holland and Flanders have banded together to try if they cannot get King Philip and the Duchess to respect what they call the charters, which, if I understand it rightly, means that promises made by the King to his Dutch subjects have not been kept. They went to see the Duchess, shewed her great respect, and presented a petition. She seemed troubled, but would not make any promises and said she must write to her brother, the King of Spain. As they were leaving, one of her advisors was heard to say to her, Why should your Royal Highness be afraid of them? They are only good a Flemish word meaning beggars. So they have adopted the word as the name of their party. Many of them wore a grey cloak and doublet of coarse cloth, and carry a beggar's bowl and wallet. But I must not forget an event so important, that for many days before it took place people seemed to think or speak of little else, namely, the coming to Antwerp of William, Prince of Orange. Father says the nation seemed to feel a thrill of new hope and courage at the very mention of his name. When it was known that he was really on his way and would arrive within a few hours, thousands of people lined the streets. The magistrates and merchants of our city, among them being my father, rode a few miles into the country to meet him and give him a fitting welcome. A pistol was to be fired, as soon as he came in sight, the report was no sooner heard than such a welcome rang out. Everybody was so glad, so very glad, that the man to whom they looked as the deliverer of Holland was really among them, that they could not help trying to make him feel how much he was wanted. But amid all the good wishes and cheering that greeted him, the prince did not seem flattered, indeed, many thought he was not even pleased. Those who were nearest to him said that his face wore an anxious, troubled look, and that he was more grave and silent than usual. It had been proposed that the ringing of bells, lighting of bonfires, and great public rejoicings should close the day of the prince's arrival, but when the people saw how ill and worn he looked, and that he wished for quietness, they shewed their love for him and respect for his wishes by going quietly to their homes. He began work that evening, and now he has been here for some weeks. Father, who is with him a great deal, says that he works almost night and day. So many people have to be seen, and everyone, whether high or low, rich or poor, is sure of a patient hearing, and of justice, while far into the night he sits at his desk, such piles of papers have to be gone through, letters and petitions read and answered. Amid all the hopefulness, the outlook is not very much brighter. For though the prince has been able to induce the duchess to allow the reformed preachers and those who wish to hear them the use of one church a little way out of the city, King Philip has issued fresh edicts, forbidding any of his subjects to leave the country. Captains of ships must not take them as passengers, no one is to give or sell them food, and any person giving information of any attempt to leave the country will be rewarded with half the property of the accused persons.